Bible to the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. And once again, I want to thank Lee and Jonathan and all the rest of the young bloods for uh, pitching in here and uh, helping us on Sunday morning. I, these, these are clever folks, I mean, to be able to get all this stuff gathered up and stick it up there on the big screen so that you and I can see it together this morning. Thank you. Thank you for that so very, very much. I want to speak this morning on this subject, con considerations for the unconverted. Considerations for the unconverted. And before we stand together in a few moments and read our passage of Scripture, which is the text for the message, out of the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus, let me take just a few moments to introduce this subject to you, considerations for the unconverted. There is a vast array of phrases, terms, which are used in Christian circles to speak of people who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus, people who have repented of sin, trusted in Jesus, and who know for certain if they die, they're going to spend their forever with God in heaven. Who know that in spite of all of their sin, what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary was payment for their sin. And they have repented of sin and trusted in him as Savior and as Lord. And we refer to people like this, people like many here this morning in this auditorium. We refer to them by... by several different names. For instance, sometimes we're simply called Christians. But the truth of the matter is there are a lot of people who go to Christian churches and who profess the Christian religion who have never really repented of sin and received Christ by faith as their Savior. They are, they are Christian in religion only, not because they possess a personal relationship with Jesus. And so we look for other words to describe these people. Sometimes we call them believers, believers in Christ. And many times this group also encompasses people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for them, was buried, rose again, and will one day come again. But you can believe all of those things and still not have eternal life. As a matter of fact, we read in the Bible that uh, you say you believe in God, you do well, even the devil believes and tremble. And so that's a phrase we use, Christians, believers. Sometimes we speak of them as people who have been born again. Now that's a more narrow phrase because it truly refers to people who have repented of sin and trusted in Jesus and therefore been born again, not physically, as Jesus said to Nicodemus when he used this phrase, it's where it's found in the Bible in John 3, but they have been born again spiritually. They repented of sin, trusted in Christ. The old man has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. They are a new creature in Christ. They have been born again. And so we speak of people as born again. By the way, sometimes because we realize that the terminology can be so, so misleading, we speak of people as being what? Born again Christians. Because there are some people who refer to themselves as Christians who've never been born again. Christians, believers, 
born again. Sometimes we use the phrase, the redeemed. And that's a good phrase. It, it's rather uh, subjective. It speaks of people who have experienced redemption. And redemption is a Bible word. The picture is that we are on a slave block. We are enslaved. We are enslaved to what? We are enslaved to sin. And there is a price that must be paid. The wages of sin is death. And so there we are. We are shackled to our sin. We are in the bondage of sin. And Jesus comes along and pays the price and thus becomes our Redeemer, and we become the redeemed. And so that is a phrase that is often used to describe believers in Christ. And so Christians, born again, believers, the redeemed. Sometimes we use the word the saved. Have you been saved is a phrase that we often uh, use. That's, that's the good Bible word. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, the scripture says. Saved. And that has the word of deliverance. And we speak of Jesus as the Savior and people who have trusted in him as the saved. But then there is another phrase that is used in the Scripture. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, we find this Scripture, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins might be blotted out. And so often we speak of true Christians as those who have been converted or the converted. And we see the word change in that word conversion. It means be turned around. Repent and be turned around so that your sins might be blotted out. And so the question became very common in years gone by. Have you been converted? Are you one of the converted? And so converted is another word that we use to describe people who have truly experienced the grace and the mercy of God who know their sins have been paid for. Yes, they have a wonderful life here on this earth of uh, peace with God. They've been reconciled to him, but they know that one day they'll spend forever with God in heaven. These are the converted. But you see, not everybody is converted. In fact, not everybody in this auditorium is converted. There are people all over this auditorium who in moments of, of honesty being candid and frank and open about their situation might say to you, well, I am a Christian in, in faith, but as far as having a personal, dynamic, vital relationship with Jesus, that hasn't occurred to me. Therefore, I am unconverted. I am still in my sin. If I were to die, I would pay the wages of sin, which is death. I would spend forever separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. I can't look at any moment in my life when that change took place. I've just sort of always gone along being religious, acknowledging religious things. Therefore, I am, they would say, and you might say this morning in a moment of honesty, I am unconverted. And so the message this morning is designed to place before you some things for you to consider if you are unconverted. Considerations for the unconverted. Now, the text this morning, of course, comes from the book of Exodus because we are studying through the book of Exodus. And here in this book of Exodus, we find a remarkable picture of the children of Israel being delivered from the bondage and from the slavery of Egypt. They have been in Egypt for 400 years. 
For several weeks now, Moses, at the age of 80, has come back to be their deliverer according to the command of God, God's purpose for him. Egypt has been in a turmoil because of one man, Pharaoh, whose heart first was hardened toward God and then the Lord just cooperated and hardened his heart even more. And so one after the other, the plagues have come down upon the land of Egypt and the land is virtually destroyed. Now, there has been some difference made for many of them in that in a place called Goshen where the Israelites stay, it seems that they haven't experienced the plagues as the rest of Egypt did. And now we are going to dive into the scripture at the place where Moses and Aaron are going to present Pharaoh with one final opportunity to turn. And in this opportunity, he's saying this, look, we're going to, uh, we're going to go back to our houses in a little bit because you have said you don't want to see our face anymore. And Pharaoh, here's what God is saying. God is saying he's going to move through this land at midnight and the firstborn in every home is going to be killed. Now, wouldn't you like to reconsider and let us go out of bondage? And Pharaoh just exploded in wrath, and he said, of course, I will not do that. And so now Moses and Aaron are coming back to the children of Israel and explaining to them how each home can avert the sentence of death. He says there's a special way that you can do this. And that's where we're going to look in the scripture this morning as we think about considerations for the unconverted. Stand with me if you will, please. And I'm going to ask you to read aloud together with me four verses. First of all, we're going to read verses 1 and 2 out of chapter 12. And th these verses will be up on the screen. You can read them aloud together with me. And then we're going to read verses 13 and 14. Let's begin by reading verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. This is beginning again. This is the first day of the rest of your life, he's saying. Now let's look at verses 13 and 14 and read them together. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever." Actually, I read 13 and 14, and you had 12 and 13 up on the screen, didn't you? Well, you see verse 12. He says there, I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And then he says this blood is going to be for a token upon the houses where you are. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that any person here this morning who is unconverted, wherever he sits, wherever she sits, any person here who knows that there has never come that moment of turning, turning from sin and self and turning to you, converted, born again, redeemed, saved, a moment of faith, 
I pray, Heavenly Father, this morning, each individual who is unconverted, unconverted, will give serious thought, serious consideration to these issues which are before us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Now, what I'd like to do in these next few moments, very briefly, is to offer you four very serious thoughts for your consideration. Especially for your consideration this morning, if you would be honest enough to say, I am unconverted. I'm religious. I know there's a God. I go to church. I believe all the stuff for the most part that's told to me in church. But if you're asking me, Tom, has there come a moment in my life in which I have done an about face? A moment when I saw the horror of my sin, the reality of it. I saw that my sin was going to take me to hell forever. I saw that sin had separated me from God. I repented of that sin and I turned by faith in Jesus and trusted in in him as my Savior and Lord. If you would say there has never been a specific moment like that then this message is for you. You may be one of those individuals who say, oh yeah, every day I pray, Jesus, if I'm not saved, save me. I'm not talking about that. That is, a, that is a nothing prayer. It is not born out of the conviction that you really aren't saved if I'm not saved. And it doesn't bring to you the satisfaction that, the, that you are saved, save me, because you wouldn't pray it day in and day out every day when you get up, if it really accomplished anything in your life. A lot of people do that. A lot of people go to church and they go through some kind of ritual and they say, Father, you know, save me, whatever. But that doesn't mean anything to them because they would have to say, there has never been a specific moment in my life in which I've turned, turned from self, turned from sin, and trusted Jesus once and for all as my Savior and the Lord of my life. People like that are unconverted. And you shouldn't be embarrassed. You shouldn't be ashamed this morning to admit it in your heart, if that includes you. You should be honest because I have good news for you. And you'll see that as we look at these considerations for the unconverted. Now, here are these four considerations. First of all, Christian conversion is for those who recognize their desperate need of a new life. What we call Christian conversion, conversion, turning to Christ, is for those who recognize their desperate need of a new life. Look with me again, if you will, at verses 1 and 2. And there's where he talks about it. This being a new beginning, this deliverance from Egypt, of course, is a picture of our deliverance from sin. And so the Lord speaks to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. In other words, this is going to be the beginning. Every once in a while, I meet someone who is under the assumption that becoming a Christian is a, listen, is a matter of simply superimposing some new rules on an already existing old life or lifestyle. I've been living this way. I've been doing these things. I want to try to do better. And so I'll walk down that aisle and I'll say that I want to become a Christian. That's not what it means to become a Christian. The Bible says that when you trust in Jesus as your Savior, listen to this, old things pass away, all things become new. 
The Bible says you literally become a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have been alive physically. You have been alive soulishly. You've been thinking and having emotions and making decisions. But you have been dead spiritually. That's why the Bible says the soul that sins it shall die. There's been no fellowship with God. No harmony with God. No peace with God. If you died, you'd spend your forever in hell. Where Bible says that those who do not trust in Jesus spend their forever. And when you trust in Jesus Christ, literally you are born again, not in the flesh. Nicodemus said, how can a man enter his mother's womb and be born a second time? Jesus said, that which is flesh is flesh, but that which is spirit is spirit. And he said, I'm talking here about a spiritual birth. I'm talking about something you've never had, Nicodemus. You're going to be born again. The Holy Spirit is going to, become, is going to come and live within you. And here's the key truth. I hope you'll grasp this this morning. Coming to faith in Christ. Coming to faith in Christ marks the beginning of an entirely new life in Christ. And two things happen to you in this new life. This new life in Christ in which you are, first of all, freed from the bondage of sin. Sin now has no more dominion over you. You are not a slave to sin. You have been redeemed from the bondage, from the dominion of sin. You are freed from the bondage of sin just like Israel was freed from the bondage of Egypt. And you are freed to fulfill God's purpose in your life. From sin to God's purpose. They were going out to the land of promise, going out to fulfill God's great purpose in their life. And so when you trust in Jesus Christ, it is the first day of the rest of your life. Up until now, you have been a sinner. The wages of sin is death. There's a termination out there, a moment when you die physically, and from that moment on, you live the second death. You are dead spiritually, cut off from God forever. But Jesus comes along, and you see him, and you decide to turn from yourself and turn to the Savior. And Jesus has this eternal life. And he comes to live within you with his eternal life. And from that moment on, your life becomes everlasting. You live with him forever. And so Christian conversion is for those this morning who recognize their desperate need of a new life. And it's not a matter of satisfying somebody or making a friend happy and traipsing down the aisle because some preacher told you so. It is when you in your heart realize, I need desperately a new life life. Here's the second consideration. This new life is only possible through faith in Christ who alone shed his blood for you. This new life is possible only through faith in Christ who alone shed his blood for you. I meet any number of people who tell me that all roads lead to heaven. Well, that's simply not true. If that true is true, then the Bible is a lie. And worse than that, Jesus is a liar. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by me. Are there many roads that lead to heaven? Are there many ways that lead to heaven? No. If there are, listen again, the Bible is a lie and Jesus is a liar. He said, no man comes to the Father but by me. 
Now in the Garden of Eden, you had a lamb for a man. Remember, there was a sacrifice because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Now here in Egypt, you have a lamb for a family. And notice the sequence here in verse 3. He says, take a lamb. Take every man a lamb for his house. Notice in verse 5, he describes this lamb. This lamb shall be without blemish. Of course, it's picturing Jesus who is without sin. Notice in verse 6, he says, take that lamb which was without blemish and kill it. And then notice in verse 7, he says, take the blood of that lamb, sprinkle it on the post, across the top, down the other side of your door, then get inside that house. And then look at verse 13. He said, when I come through the land with this sentence of death, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are and I will pass over you. I will not impute the sentence of death to the house where the blood is. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now here's what I want you to see. Jesus alone is the true, this is a picture, he is the true lamb without blemish that you read about there in verse five. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, in the Garden of Eden, it was a lamb for a man. Here in the Passover, it was a lamb for a family. Out in the wilderness, it was a lamb for a nation. But where was the lamb of God for the world? When Jesus showed up on the scene, and you can read this in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 36, John looked at him and said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So here is the second consideration for the unconverted, and that is new life is only possible through Jesus. There's not any other way you're going to get to heaven. There's not any other faith that's going to take you there. If there is, the Bible's a lie. Jesus is a liar. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Consideration number three. There are four considerations. Consideration number three. Here it is. Repentance. Repentance. Now, what is that? This is turning away from sin. Turning away from sin. Repentance is not feeling sorry. Repentance is not being sorry that you got caught. Repentance is not feeling badly because others have been affected by your sin. Repentance is a verb. It means turning away from sin is an absolutely essential part of faith in Christ. Repentance. Turning away from sin is an absolutely essential part of faith in Christ. Look with me, if you will, please, at an interesting verse. Verse 11. He's telling them how they're supposed to eat this Passover meal in their homes. Now listen to what he's saying. He is saying, and I'm going to read it in just a few moments. He is saying, eat with a heart to leave, eat, ready to go out. He's not saying, eat this meal, stick your head out the door and see if you still want to live in Egypt. He said, you need to make up your mind that the moment I give you the green light, you're gone. That you want to have nothing to do with Egypt anymore that you want to be out of there. It's a place of slavery. It's a place of bondage. Now, how does he say that? Look at the verse 11. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girt. In other words, have your clothes on, your shoes on your feet, which is unusual because they did not normally eat with shoes on their feet when they were eating in a home, especially in the evening time, supper. Eat with your shoes on your feet. 
Eat with your staff in your hand. In other words, your backpack packed and you shall eat it in haste. Hurry up and eat it, says the Lord. This is the Lord's Passover. Get with the program. Eat it. Why? Because you're wanting to leave bondage. You're wanting to get out of Egypt. I'm going to tell you something that keeps a lot of people who walk down the aisles of churches, who pray prayers and crusades, who follow people along in their praying, what keeps a lot of them from being truly converted is just this. There is no repentance in their heart. There is no repentance in their heart. Someone has come along and said to them, you want a better life? Well, sure, I want a better life. You want to experience God's love? Well, sure, I want to experience God's love. Well, I'll tell you what, you just sashay down there, you say this prayer, you're going to have a wonderful life. And they do that, but it doesn't work, does it? And their names then occupy the role of a church, but it makes no drastic difference in their life. There's no difference in the way they live. They have never repented of sin. They are still in their sins. They keep on living the same way they did before they prayed that prayer. Why? They never repented of sin. You love Jesus? Yes. You want to go to heaven? Yes. Well, pray this prayer. You say, Brother Tom, do you discount uh, praying to receive Christ, to express your faith in Christ? No, that's not the issue. The issue is here is what's going on in your heart. If in your heart there is no desire to turn away from sin, no desire to repent of sin, there's not going to be any change in your life. In order to be saved, you must realize you need being saved. As long as a person thinks they can swim ashore, they're going to try to swim ashore. It's when they realize that this water is dragging them to death that they're going to cry out, Help! I need a Savior! And so in order to receive Christ by faith as your Savior, this involves repentance. This involves turning away from sin. And it's pictured here by the fact that God says, Don't you eat with a plan to stay in bondage. Don't eat this meal dreaming of remaining in Egypt. Eat it, get out. Don't you think that anything of sin is going to be acceptable with God? Trust him, turn away from it. And so that's an essential part of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the key. Conversion is experienced by those, by whom? By those who simultaneously turn away from sin and turn to faith in Christ alone. It's turning from sin and turning in faith to Christ alone. And the reason a lot of people who are Christians by, you know, the, by their confession are not Christians by their nature is that they never truly repented of sin. All right, let's look at this final consideration. And then we come to a time where we invite you to do something about it this morning about where you are with Christ. No, make no bones about that. And I think if you understand, uh, if you could even understand the thrust of the message this evening, five minutes to midnight, you would not put off trusting in Jesus this morning. Here's the fourth one. You think about your own relation with Christ. Conversion. Conversion to Christ is an experience to be always remembered. Conversion to Christ is an experience always to be remembered. I'm just blown away by people who say, yeah, I'm saved. When did that happen? Oh, I don't know. I guess I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't always been a Christian. Well, when I was a little baby, my parents had me baptized, so I guess that makes me all right. No, salvation is a matter of your personal acknowledgement, not anything they're going to do to you, nothing magic about the water, nothing a preacher's going to do, nothing your parents are going to do that's going to get you into heaven. 
That's why all the scripture is addressed to people who need to make a decision. You look to me. You trust in me, says the Lord Jesus. You come to me, says the Lord Jesus. And so there must be this conscious, willing acknowledgement. A lot of people say, well, somebody did something to me a long time ago. I don't know anything about it, but I'm going to heaven because of it. And, and in the meantime, I don't know how I'm even supposed to live. Well, the truth of the matter is, conversion to Christ is such a radical experience it should always be remembered by you. You may not remember what you said. I think you should probably remember where you were. You may not need to remember how you felt. But if you can remember everything else that's important to your life, I graduated, remember where I was when that happened. I got married, remember where that was when that happened. Significant events in my life. You honestly cannot go before God and say, well, there was an event. And man, it was an incredible event. I was in sin. And five seconds later, I was on my way to heaven instead of hell. The old me passed away. I became a new creature in Christ Jesus. Why, you know what? I met the King of Kings. I met the Lord of Lords. Jesus, the creator, sustainer of the universe, came to dwell in me. I have absolutely no recollection when that happened. You see the folly of that? Not only is it foolish, it's not even scriptural. God's big on us not forgetting Take these stones, build an altar. Take this day, make it special. And so the Lord says that to these children of Israel. Look with me at verse 14. He says, this day shall be unto you for memorial. You shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout all your generations. Where was Jesus hours before he died? Remembering this moment. That's when he said, from now on, do it to remember me. Up to now, you've done it to remember Egypt, remember bondage, remember deliverance from bondage. Now you do it to remember me, deliverance, deliverance from sin. This is the Lord's Supper, not the Passover from that moment. But where was he? Here he was, years, hundreds of years later, seated with his disciples, doing what? Remembering deliverance. And so the very thought that you could be truly delivered and, and that could have no memory of it is... Uh, that's a, that's a rather remarkable thought. Here's the key truth. Conversion is so radical. You will have some memory of the event. Some memory of the event. I mean, I realize sicknesses can occur. And, and uh, you know, sometimes I, I don't even remember getting up in the morning. But you don't understand what I'm talking about. You'll have some memory of the event. By the way, the best evidence of conversion is what? A con life of continued faith and growth in Christ. If to look at your life today would be to have looked at it five years ago, 15 years ago, 50 years ago, and there's been no substantial change. You're not closer to Jesus. You're not giving more. You're not going more. You're not growing more. You haven't learned anymore. You haven't done anything. Then you, it, it's seriously to be questioned whether you are really even alive in Christ. Because life means growth. Life means growth. There's growth there. Has there been growth in your life? Are you growing? Are you going deeper with God? Are you more faithful in your testimony? More conscientious in your giving? Do you love him more, serve him more, serve him more? But there ought to be some memory. Well, what is your memory? What is your memory? Where were you? Do you remember anything about the circumstances when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords came to make your heart his home. 
God said to the children of Israel, this is a big deal getting delivered. Don't you forget it. And God says to you and to me this morning, getting delivered from the bondage and slavery of sin is a big deal. Don't forget it. Father in heaven, I pray this morning that every unconverted person in this auditorium, and there could be many, if they would just be honest, if they would just come before you, dear Lord, and say, look, I need to realize that I need a new life. If they would just come before you and say, you know, I realize now Jesus is the only way. If they would come before you and just say, you know, I am willing to repent of sin and trust in Jesus this morning. If they would say, I realize this is such a radical thing, I'll never forget it. It will have an impact on my life, the way I live, the things I do, what I believe for the rest of my eternity. And Lord, I pray that with those considerations this morning, some of the unconverted who are sitting in this auditorium, young and old alike, would be converted. That they would choose this morning to come to this altar to trust in you once and for all and be converted. I pray in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We're going to stand in a moment. Our choir is going to lead us as we sing a hymn of invitation. And that's what it is. It is an invitation for you to respond to what you've heard this morning. And if you are one of those who are honest and bold and truthful enough to say, I've been playing at this, I've been religious, but I have not truly been redeemed, been born again. I am unconverted. With all of my religion, I am unconverted. So this morning, I desire to turn from sin and trust in Jesus. Would you do that this morning? I'm going to ask you when we begin singing just to step to Nile, come to one of these counselors here at the front, say something this simple. You see, your coming will signify you're trusting Jesus. Just say, look, I'm coming this morning trusting in Jesus. Or just say, I'm trusting in Jesus this morning. And they'll go to a counseling room, give you some information which will help you to grow in your faith, and your life will never be the same again, ever for all of eternity. I'm coming to trust in Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus. Would you do that this morning? Would you ask God to help you be more than an unconverted person, but to be converted this morning, that your sins might be blotted out? Make up your mind. When we stand, when that preacher says amen, when the choir sings, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming this morning to be converted. And tell that to a counselor this morning. If you're not a member of this church, the invitation is for you to come. And say to one of these counselors, look, I'm coming, we're coming to join this church this morning. One of the evidences of true salvation, I want to be a part of what God's doing in a New Testament church. And so I'm coming, we're coming to join this church. You may be here the first time, may have been here many times, but come this morning. You've already gone to a lot of trouble to get here. Why not take these extra steps now this morning to join this church? Would you do that? If you've made a decision in recent weeks and we've not introduced you, well, I'll ask you to come, such as the one who was baptized. Come and be seated over here at the front to your right where it says seating for new members. Our prayer warriors will be coming. Others will be coming to an altar to pray. Counselors will be here at the front. Your moment to say yes to Jesus. So I want to ask you to join with the others. And come to this altar and say, look, I'm trusting in Jesus today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, how I pray. Believing, trusting with all my heart, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit among us will bring to this altar the harvest. 
those who would respond to your word, those who would come, those who would be converted today, who would look unto you, Lord Jesus, and be converted. And Father, those who would say, I want to be a part of this church or answer some other call that you're issuing to their heart. Oh, God in heaven, we give this invitation to you. It is your invitation to us. I pray in Jesus' name.